Hey everyone, another episode of Poetry Says for you today. My name is Alice. Very, very excited as always to share this chat with you. This is a discussion with AJ Carruthers. AJ is an experimental poet and he came to see us in Melbourne back in August where he read for us at Sporting Poets, which is a reading that I run uh, once a month on Ligon Street. I was so excited to get AJ to read, but I didn't necessarily know what he was going to do. And uh, I was completely blown away by his reading. It was four sound poems. None of them were his own work. He read a poem called Death Whale by Elsa von Freitag Loringhoven, Sigaran by Kurt Schwitters, Expressione, and a poem called Sound Poem by Jazz Duke. Sound Poem is uh, a poem that I'd only heard about. Alan Wern told me about it one day, and I thought it sounded hilarious because it he, as he described it, it is just a repetition of the words sound poem over and over again, which I thought was sort of making fun of the whole idea. But when I saw AJ perform it, um, I realized that there was a lot more to it. It's an incredibly physical performance. At certain points, AJ was tearing at his own mouth to kind of make it bigger and reaching down his throat to kind of try and pull the poem out. It was almost painful to watch, actually. And yeah, he, he says in this interview that it wasn't painful to perform, but um, yeah, I reckon I reckon it would be pretty challenging. So yeah, I was just so excited by that reading. I was also excited to hear later from my partner, um, that somebody actually left during the reading and not as a, um, not because they just wanted to go get a drink or they were bored, but because of their response to the work, which basically never happens at Sporting Poets. It's, um, tends to be very, uh, respectful reading, which is wonderful, but also how cool to have a poem read that just challenged someone so much that they were just like, I'm out, I'm done. I thought, yeah, I was, I was kind of proud of that, which might sound strange, but yeah, I, I was just amazed by this. So we start out by chatting about the reading and about those four poems. And I get to ask AJ to define what a sound poem is for us. Um, from there, we move into what I think is probably, um, as poetry says goes, one of my most successful discussions in terms of the theme that we keep coming back to here, the spectrum of experimentalism that exists in Australian poetry, um, you know, that, that old chestnut of the lyric versus the experimental and how they interact. And um, AJ puts it really well when he talks about self-expression and self-transformation and the possibility that experimental poetry offers for self-transformation over self-expression. We also talk quite a bit about uh, a post that AJ wrote on the Southerly blog. It's called My Avant Guard Card. I'd highly recommend reading it. It's got some really fun ideas for um, poetry exercises that you could try if you're excited by what AJ's saying here. But there's a point in this conversation that I come to fairly early on where what I'm doing is asking AJ about a couple of things that he wrote on Twitter. Um, and he wrote these tweets uh, over a year ago. 
in response to Corey Wakeling's review of the contemporary Australian poetry anthology that came out from Puncher and Watman uh, last year. And as you can tell when you hear me go into this part of the discussion, I'm pretty embarrassed about calling someone out about their tweets, but um, these are this is a question, these are statements that I've been wanting to ask AJ about for such a long time um, that I decided to go through with it, but I'm pretty embarrassed. And so I rushed through the reading of the tweets that I'm asking about. So I want to read them again for you here. The first one was published on 28th of February, 2017, and AJ says, uh, AJ links to Corey's review of Contemporary Australian Poetry Anthology, and he says, Dear Tweets, if it's not experimental, it's not contemporary Australian poetry. Corey W. critiques anthology from experimental perspective. Uh, so that's the first one with the link to the review, and I highly recommend the review as well. It's really, really interesting. But before that, on the 4th of February, AJ also just tweeted uh, with, with no link or anything around it, if it isn't experimental, it's not contemporary Australian poetry. And that was the tweet that kind of hit me as a challenge and as um, something that I, I just thought about that from that point on, you know, what in terms of my own poetry, um, yeah, what does it mean to be experimental uh, how experimental does one need to be, I guess, all these kinds of, yeah, really kind of not particularly useful questions. But I think through the discussion that I have with AJ here, um, he really unpacks that for me. And by the end, I hope that you feel the same way I do, which is just really, really excited about the possibilities of experimental techniques and strategies. Um, he says uh, about three quarters of the way through, this fantastic quote, poetry is not a profession. It doesn't profess, but it does. It's about doing and about being with. And yeah, I just think he's got such a refreshing perspective on all these questions that I think uh, in a lot of my discussions on this podcast, we've been wrestling with. So I hope you get as much out of this discussion as I did. Thanks for listening. Like I was saying before, this is an interview that I've wanted to do for a long, long time. Great, yeah. And it's taken, as, as with so many of these, it's taken me a little while to work up the courage to actually ask. Oh. And uh, <laughs> put myself out there in that way. But I, I wanted to start with a question that I was asked a couple of weeks ago and kind of failed to answer mm. adequately, I thought. So yesterday at Sporting Poets, you read us for sound poems. Yeah. And amazingly, a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine asked me what a sound poem was. Oh, I see. And I was so excited, but also kind of couldn't really explain. And I was wondering if maybe you could give your explanation of what that is. Well, uh, all poems have sound. Uh, <clears throat> and I think all poems have meaning. So sound poems too have meaning. Uh, but what you do when you're doing a sound poem is you um, are opening the voice, I think, to other kinds of possibilities. Uh, you're kind of uh, letting the voice um, go in certain directions that otherwise you might not be interested in going. 
So uh, I think of a sound poem as a kind of freeing up of the voice, mm-hmm. fundamentally. Um, but as you would have seen, I, I was also working off uh, scores, off scripts, with some of them. With all of them, in fact, initially, and then with some of them uh, moving away from that. And so uh, as one does in music, you're beginning with a kind of a, a script. Um, and with a script, you have a history. And so the first thing I suppose I would say about sound poetry is it has a history. It's historical. And, um, you know, last night I uh, went through some of that history, beginning with Elze von Freitag-Loringhoven's uh, wonderful Death Whale um, which I don't believe we have a recording of, and so I had to go off my own instincts. Really? I was wondering yeah. about that, because I thought, well, are you replicating something? or are It's you... like a recital yeah. in, in some ways, and uh, you know, going through that history and then moving through Kurt Schwitter's um, Sigarren. And then um, the, the one that I found most recently was Gerhard Rühm's Expressionen, which was in the uh, ten or so movements. Uh, and I only just recently learned that. So it was kind of like giving a recital mm. in some ways. Yeah. You know? um, so I would say, what's sound poetry? Well, it's all those uh, fundamental things about sound and being, uh, being with the voice. And then on the other hand, it's a, it's a history. Mm. Would you say that it prioritizes sound over meaning? No. Okay. Uh, I think sound poems, in some ways, sound poems, it feels like they've got more meaning. Uh, like you know, when when the meaning opens up and uh, and it's not all determined, mm. but it becomes a little bit indeterminate. Well, the meaning explodes. <laughs> the last piece that I did with a jazz duke sound poem, where I was um, tearing at the lips. One's instructed to tear at the lips. Um, you're you know, there's a lot of meaning in that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what. I can't say what the meaning is right now, but I can uh, say that people witnessing that will make some meaning for themselves. So yeah, I, I sound poetry is very meaningful. Mm. Yeah. I have to ask, how much does it hurt to tear at your mouth like that when you're reading? Well, I don't think it, it, it was fine for me. Okay. But um, I, uh, Geraldine Burrows, I think, was there, and I asked, uh, she came up to me afterwards and she said that she'd seen a video of Jazz Duke actually performing this himself, yeah. which I, I was aware existed, um, in which uh, there's blood. Um, it draws blood, so he was really tearing at it. and uh, So that didn't happen with me, although I did feel a little bit uh, nauseous when uh, I had to actually try to um, uh, constrict my mouth with my fist. So uh, it, was, it was a difficult one. Yeah. Um, it was physical. You have to do that one last. <laughs> I was talking to my partner as we were driving away and um, he found the whole, like I I found the whole set absolutely mind-blowing as I said to you afterwards, but he found it a lot more challenging and what he said was, um, you know, it would have been good if AJ started with sound poem because then I feel like I would have had a frame of reference for what sound poetry was and then I could have appreciated the others more. Sure. What I was saying to him was, well, you can't start with that because you're basically going to hurt yourself. <laughs> yeah, you could, I suppose. Yeah. but um, it would be hard to do the rest. Yeah, you, you have to kind of be uh, really with it when you're going with the finer stuff. Yeah. Uh, with the, uh, the syllables and the, uh, the rhythms. Mm. 
Um, but yeah, one of the things about sound poetry is in its initial uh, instantiation of the avant-garde uh, originals, or as they say, the historic avant-garde, when they were doing it, it was meant to be and uh, it was challenging. Yeah. But, you know, I think nowadays in, in many contexts, uh, it's a little less, it's lost some of that uh, shock value, um, which can be a good thing, mm. you know, because then you can bring it around back to concepts and ideas. And uh, I'm, I'm amused, that, you know, when one's preparing a lot of this stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's a very serious affair. It's not meant to be full of um, kind of, it's not meant to be entertainment in some ways. And yet there are situations where it does become a bit like entertainment when mm. you think, hmm, uh, I'm not sure about that. But you can't really control for that, can you? You can't. Yeah, you've got to let the, uh, you've got to let people react to it as they want to. Because mm. that's meaning, mm. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, that's sort of the, the case I was trying to make when we were talking. It's like, well, this is an opportunity for you to create your own meaning from what you're hearing. Mm. Uh, he wasn't into it, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, totally fair. That's good. Yeah. 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 Um, well, when we were in um, Newcastle, uh, I, was, I did a piece with... Um, what we call in the Fluxus years a happening with uh, Amelia Dale and Emily Stewart and that was a lot of fun um, at this new series they've got called Couplet run by Claire Albrecht and um, well Emily Stewart was wrapping things in jumpers just like the kind of jumper you've got on right now and just mm-hmm. kind of uh, getting everybody's devices so it was in fact it was getting everybody's electronic devices and right. then and then wrapping them and placing them around the room. Wow. Um, we were doing what you might call a simultaneity. So we're doing three separate things at the same time to use that event space to, uh, in, in time and in space, to kind of create a, a, an atmosphere, a feeling, or a, an event. And so Amelia's thing was a kind of uh, handing out forms and numbers that the audience was to uh, actually fill out these forms. Mm. And all the while, I was um, I was performing Piotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky's Symphony Number no. Six with six instruments, um, uh, minus sixty six pages. So I had the whole score there, and the instruments were some of them were homemade, some of them I'd made myself. Uh, so you know, bits and pieces that I'd sort of taken together. And as the performance went through I was surprised that the instrument started to kind of tangle mm. among them and, and then I actually it became very difficult to play the instruments but you know some of this was good old-fashioned dada humor but it was never intended to be um, so it became a riot uh, even though the preparation aspect of it was not meant mm. to necessarily engender that how do you prepare for something like that? How much of that is improvised? And how much that was total improvisation okay. in, in a different way to these sound poems, which were all um, prepared in advance. Yeah. So that was uh, total, total improv. <laughs> and how do you know when to end that? As We had 20 minutes. Okay. And this is something that, you know, as a, somebody running a, a reading series, um, 
you, you have the, the we, we got all our times together into the 20 minutes and mm. so we were able to do it as, as a kind of block um, and we didn't exceed 20 minutes mm. sounds amazing <laughs> it was good fun <laughs> That sort of leads me to the thing that I have been wanting to ask you for must be over a couple of years now. So I know that it's not uh, it's not great form to bring up someone's old tweets and ask them about it, but that's what I'm about to do. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so never you, bring Twitter into it. It's the oh, only no. form of social media I have. <laughs> it's I think I don't know. Mm. If uh, oh, it's only because you know this is like a, a quick pithy way to say what I think you probably said in, in a number of different forums, but um, you wrote on there uh, a while back um, in response to Corey Wakeling's review of the Contemporary Australian Poetry Collection. Uh, if it isn't experimental, it's not Contemporary Australian Poetry. And when I read that, I felt a little like. Was that a res- direct response to that? Well, so the that. first, the first, there's two. The first, <laughs> the first on the fourth of February says, if it isn't experimental, it's not contemporary Australian poetry. Yeah. And then, like further into that month, you say, dear tweets, if it's not experimental, it's not contemporary Australian poetry. No. Corey W critiques anthology from experimental perspective, and then a link to the review. Mm. And yeah, when I read that that first tweet that you wrote, I I felt. Um, kind of this like I don't really know how to put it but it was this feeling of like you've been you've been called out like because constantly when I'm having these discussions on this podcast we're talking about this like spectrum Mm. from experimental through to non-experimental however you want to classify that and how to like navigate that space in terms of what we're writing what we're Mm. making and I think I read what you wrote and thought, yeah, he's probably right. And I hate that he's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess I just wanted to yeah. ask, is there anything that you wanted to say to unpack well, that at all? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I don't know if I'm right or wrong. Um, and, and certainly my positions are, are ready to morph and change. As and, and one of the things about, you know, being an experimental writer is that, um, you know, sure, there's a history in, in Australian letters, in Australian poetry and poetics that is sidelined to a large degree and has been and has been for a while. And But uh, I have morphed and changed on that to a certain extent because I now no longer think that you have to necessarily be such an evangelist about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, the quality, the breadth, and the um, just the sheer quantum, to quote Kathy Fidler, my, my favourite poet, uh, Australian poet, of uh, experimental writing, not only in Australia but around the world today, mm-hmm. means that we need no longer to kind of uh, kind of do this whole. Uh, you know, we need more of uh, a certain kind of thing. I think we're. All doing just fine, and I think what really matters is that the writers that are doing such experiments, an experiment is testing. Um, just do it uh, as as well as they can, and build community communities that can really kind of allow this writing to flourish. So I, I don't think that I don't think we need to evangelize, mm-hmm. but it is true that in the history 
and as a as a critic as well, I look I'm looking into that history, and uh, you know, partly with a, with a, with an eye to revising it, you know, bringing some of those. You know, for instance, Jazz Duke, you know, um, the sound poem we did last night. Um, I think Duke is is recognised. You know, I think people know who Jazz is, um, but in you know, he he's kind of the same kind of thing as BP Nickel in Canada. You know, he's that kind of really figure who, who that experimental writers look up to and so somebody like him probably uh, should be front and center in my uh, my my kind of way of thinking of it but it need not to again I, d- I don't think of I, I probably have changed a little bit in terms of the whole evangelizing for experimental writing mm-hmm. avant-garde writing all I can just say is it's so much fun yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. No, I yeah. was reading too this morning. I was looking at um, my avant-garde card, the post that you put on the Southerly yeah. blog, and you have in here a bunch of different exercises, all of which I want to try. <laughs> and yeah, that I'm kind fun. of yeah, just so much fun. Like, and that's what you say at the end. Just above all, just have fun. And I think that I don't know if we were going to make a case for the evangelism maybe it's about evangelizing just enjoyment above writing for i don't know i just i get very tired when i read earnest australian poetry and look i write a lot of earnest australian poetry too <laughs> but um yeah i mean there's earnest experimental writing as sure, well sure but, sure sure um, yeah 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 no i see what you're saying uh there is a yeah uh yeah, there is a certain kind of writing that is um, <clears throat> it just it isn't making me very excited, and that does exist. And but again, I, I, I see no need to uh, tell people no. No one should be told not to do anything. That would be against my kind of <clears throat> ethical way of thinking. Um, you know, I think experimental writing can lead to a very uh, generative ethics but with experimental writing you know there 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 is a kind of whole i don't know that maybe that's not the best way to put it experimental writing um with the kind of inventive maybe poetics that people are engaged with there is a kind of thing that you feel that anything's possible i mean i just mentioned kathy vidler and and to me right now in australian poetry there are two poets who are doing things that if they keep doing this, um, everything will change. Um, and those two people for me are, are Catherine Vidler and Nick Whittock, who I believe lives out at Brogo. Yep. And um, so Kathy Vidler is doing, uh, working with, well, she does lots of things, but she, she works with word and paint, I think, and produces these incredible visual works that you can see if you go on Twitter to things like the asterisk machine and a few other things but you know she's also done work with code um, so there's a bit of a similarity with Mesbries and kind of people but she is producing these works on a, on, a, on, a, on a very large scale and she's had a few chapbooks out recently that are extraordinary uh, works uh, Lost Sonnets is one of them and um, and and the kinds of the intricacy and the kind of processes that she uses are just uncom- uncompromising and they're just 
I, I just marvel at, at her work. And on the other hand, uh, you know, Nick Whittock, who uses scores and grids from cricket and, and whatnot to produce works that I marvel at. Um, and just it, the way in which process becomes part of it. Mm. And I, I believe pleasure, process. Process of pleasure over romance of pain mm. is, a, is a kind of way of, of thinking of it, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like what you what you say in that post about how it, it's like quite a joy to remove yeah. the I and your own emotion from the yeah, writing. I, I think there's great possibility for um, what I like to say is uh, self-transformation over self-expression because... Uh, and, and I'm not against self-expression at all, but I, I think that if it's just one, if, if it's simply that one is expressing oneself, maybe one cannot be open to the possibility of being transformed or for oneself to be transformed somewhat from without. Um, and uh, I've just been developing a whole, uh, this past year, what's occupied my thoughts is the idea of outscape which I've been developing from uh, Jared Manley Hopkins' Inkscape. It was, you know, he used the word himself, but never really thought to theorize it. And I've begun to think that, you know, experimental writers like myself and many others are interested in uh, some kind of self-transformation that is a, a, both a kind of getting out of that uh, constrict, the constriction of the self and using that getting out to come back in. And in the coming back in, you are transformed in some way. Um, so outscape for me is a way of enrhythming the work uh, and working with the geometries of a poem that can be transformative, um, rather than simply a kind of self-expression. But then on some larger plane, perhaps this all is self-expression. <laughs> Well, yeah. One of the one of the exercises you suggest that excites me most is um, in the stale section. You suggest yeah. that you take a book that is out of copyright, yellowing, you know, and about yeah. a subject that is forgotten, and then yeah. use that, <laughs> plagiarize that to make a poem. And I mean, to me, there's a gigantic amount. I mean, that's all self-expression, right? Because you're choosing the sentences, you're choosing the words, you're choosing the format. Mm. It's all yeah. you, mm, just not your vocab. The, yeah, absolutely. You know, my one of my favourite poets, if not my favourite poet uh, in North America, Jackson MacLow, was uh, a procedurist par excellence. But, uh, you know, he emphasised throughout his career, his long career, that the ego was always around somewhere. Mm. and that uh, it, it, he, he often talked about intuitive and, and spontaneous works. So I think that, um, yeah, the role intuition plays, it can never be gotten rid of mm. and isn't in my works. Uh, however, so much they're influenced by, you know, uh, conceptual uh, constraints or things like that or procedure or mm. process, there always is the ego. Um so I think yeah, oh, yeah. And have you have you tried any of those um, 
any kind of procedures, any kind of things like that? Yeah, um, I, I have. I wrote something for Cordite right. Unprintable, which I don't know is going to oh. be printed. Yeah. Um, but... I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it could be printed out. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's going to actually be a thing, but I, I put together something that was a rewriting of my country using um, uh, weather data from Gunada, where Michaela was oh. apparently from, and using that to choose words to replace keywords in the poem from a climate report from Bureau of Meteorology. So I guess there's like three parts to that process. But there was, I, I, I and it. I tried to like learn... Um, Java, uh, not Java. I tried. I tried to learn like a different kind of uh, code than what I knew to like write a program to do it. Mm. But in the end, I just ended up. It was there was a lot of ego in the end because I just had to like <laughs> choose, you know, based ego. on like yeah numerical uh, stuff right. that I figured out on my own. I couldn't let just I, I didn't have the skill to write a program uh-huh. that would do that for me. Unfortunately, in, yeah. In the time I had. Well, the weather is wonderful. Um, the weather seems to affect everything. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean the weather now in Melbourne—it's it's quite cold and it's changeable. Freezing today, yeah. Um, weather can be great inspiration for poetry because it's all around, and we don't necessarily see it unless we pay attention to it. Yeah, um, it's easy to just keep ignoring it. Yeah. Uh, how do we get onto that procedural McClure? Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I and I have a little uh, group of friends that I've been sort of teaching a few of these exercises to just to right. sort of show them that it's okay to not just write from your own feelings that day and that you'll still come up with something valuable that you, you'll still love and in many cases love all the more because it's not just today's sad feelings <laughs> well there's yeah there's all sorts of feelings and um and um and then how to again how to move from self-expression to to self-transformation um mm-hmm. and to and to uh, use these possibilities to to bring it back around to uh, changing something mm. changes uh you know it changes everything um when i'm uh, one thing I've been working on recently has been stanzas, stanza works, mm-hmm. having worked through Hopkins and then through MacLow. And in these works, I've begun thinking about the power of um, Microsoft Word and <laughs> in, in its power in, in that it's sitting in, in front of us a lot of the time. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and, you know, they talk about the typewriter, Olsen and all that, uh, how, how much that... Uh, the in projective verse, it's all uh, giving way to measure and breath, and uh, through the clatter and bang of the keys. But I'm thinking, well, uh, Microsoft Word, and it's sitting in front of us a lot of the time when we're about to write a poem, and it's a place to start. But I think a lot of the time we skip over it and don't necessarily realise that there's a lot you can do with it. Mm. Uh, for one, there's the fonts. It gives an extraordinary range of fonts. Which can be moved around, and and the the size can be very quickly changed. Yeah, the spacing can all be 
very quickly uh, changed multiple, you know, 1.5, 1.15, which I, I like. And also the margins of the page can itself be changed. And yeah. If you change the page again, you can change everything. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, but so often we just go, we just let word dictate the shape. You let it dictate the shape. Yeah. And it, and it sort of and it goes unnoticed in a way. Mm. And there's a way of controlling that. I don't mean control word in some kind of constraining way, but there's a way of working with word to produce something different. Oh, if if for Olsen it was you know breath, I think what word offers is suspension of breath. On Microsoft Word, you can kind of not breathe. Mm. And that's exciting. <laughs> don't have to stop. You, yeah, you don't have to stop. Uh, you can really clutter the thing. And you can clutter a type... They could clutter the typewriter page, sure. But you really can't do it like you can do it in Word. And mm. there's all sorts of shapes you can make and geometries mm. that would have been a lot harder to do. So I think one place to start for, for anybody interested in testing their work is to start with the 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 media the 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 thing that they you know the laptop yeah and the and microsoft word yeah just playing seeing playing yeah so one of the things that comes up again when we talk about experimental work in australia uh or when i do at least is uh the question of recognition and I feel that there's a current that runs through a lot of these conversations that I've had that's around, um, you know, we, we, we're we proud of the experimental work that's happening. Mm-hmm. We think it's great as poets, but we feel that like the wider Australian literary world basically just doesn't, either doesn't know that's happening or if they do know, they see it as faintly ridiculous and aren't going to reward it in a monetary way with prizes or you know that kind of thing does that it doesn't sound like that bothers you very much though uh doesn't bother me i often say poetry is not a profession it doesn't profess but it does um it's about doing um and it's about being with uh you know it's it's beyond that kind of uh you know i'm aware that there is that necessity for the, the the career and all that stuff which is certainly linked to prizes i've got nothing against any of any of that if somebody's interested in that but the joy i don't think is to be had in that it's really in developing a poetics and being with uh the kind of processes and the uh, the kind of and also performance you know and i think one of the things about you know the world of all of that what they what they sometimes call the mainstream is that you know yeah it, it kind of replicates itself and and but it, it's not necessarily interesting to people either i think i mean you know if you go it's a bit like if you track to the center people disappear you mm. know people are not necessarily interested in uh when i uh, have done performances and seen people read experimental poetry you you've noticed that there is a reaction that is often quite positive um, and, and also teaching. Uh, when I teach experimental writing, um, which I do, students get real excited by it. You know, they see real possibility. So I don't necessarily... It's a bit like one of those things, you know, you, 
um, if you're told it's you know it's a nuisance, it's silly, it's obscure, it's whatever, it's not serious, it's it's not mainstream, then you'll think that. But if you're not told that, if you're told it's exciting, you know, it's pleasurable, it's whatever, this and that, then that's the reaction you might have. But I think people are probably told the former rather than the latter. But a lot of us are not doing that, you know. A lot of us who are teaching experimental writing have, uh, you know, you teach a, a drab a drab kind of... I love lyrical poetry, but if you teach a drab lyric poem, you know, students get very quickly you know, very bored and fall asleep. Mm. But as soon as you pull out something which has a little bit of something in it, a bit of invention, they often light up and the, the classroom just... Everybody's ready to go. So I think it's uh, it's a bit of a misconception on that uh, level. <clears throat> but I'm aware that, uh, but th- that there is that, that thing. But then again, there's a lot of, um, you know, some of my favourite writers from the past are not in any, you know, like Anya Volvich. Uh, her work is incredible. And I don't think that, uh, you know, I think that there are certain maybe, uh, you know, there's a sidelining and this and that. But I don't think it's good to focus on that. I think it's just good to celebrate the work as it is. And it's great work. You know, people like in, in Melbourne, like Pio, who's been doing this wonderful stuff for many years, and, and Pete Spence, visualist. And, I mean, there's so much people from the past. Amanda Stewart, for instance. Um, I wouldn't say she's from the past. She's going to kill me if she, she heard that I put the word past next. <laughs> Hi, she's from the present <laughs> and the future. Her, her, her uh, you know, she's an inspiration, a, a real inspiration. And uh, I wouldn't say that her work is... Uh, there's just no use in focusing on this like, this kind of what's mainstream there and then uh, yeah it because really... I think we can celebrate the, the stuff that's happening mm. yeah yeah it's just so refreshing to hear all that it really sounds as if you're just so much more interested in the joy of making and also in those relationships with other poets work and with other working with other poets as well oh yeah yeah making and I mean, you know, making on the level of um, small press as well. Mm. There's nothing more exciting with small independent presses, kind of the smaller scale stuff, to supplement the big, the bigger stuff. It's always fun to have bits and pieces flying around. And yeah. To be involved on making poetry on the kind of material level is really exciting. Mm. I'm really interested in whether you've trained as a performer at all or whether you've just always been able to do that yeah i well i was um since i was four my mom is from hong kong and uh, the thing about well that i think is that that's probably one reason there's no doubt one reason that i was uh, sent to piano lessons from the age of four um and she was uh, all of us, all three of my, my two siblings and I, and so we were trained classically in piano from a very young age, and um, and so you know we went to all sorts of little things, you know, like competitions, and we uh, and and went through all the grades and everything. So I was uh, sort of becoming, in some ways, a, a performer in that very traditional sense. So mm. I was, you know, they say classically trained <laughs> the piano. Mm. And that was, of course, instrumental in um, my attitude to music. And uh, it spawned all sorts of things in my life uh, that have come back and uh, with the poetry. Right. So yeah. you've just been able to 
to get up yeah. and read like that. Yeah, so I've been performing from a young age, and, and that yeah, that's right. That uh, that makes it the stage is less of a, a foreign thing. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, we we all we did uh, performing. We did all sorts. Of, we were a musical family, and that's yeah, that's largely. It wouldn't have been my father. I don't think who would have enforced any of that. But it was uh, my dear mother who got us to all. Um, do the music so I was and I also sang I did a lot of singing yeah, yeah right I was going to ask you that too because in the <laughs> performances yesterday there was some quite incredible singing happening as well in parts yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so what are you uh, what are you excited about for the rest of this year oh well you know it's a lot of good stuff we're in Shanghai Amelia and I are in Shanghai now um that's our new home, uh, well, you know, one of two homes, and um, we teach it at the university there, uh, the, the the same university that uh, Ouyang Yu has taught at for a very long time, and so uh, we're sort of in his milieu in some ways, um, and so when you know when we go back for the semester, we have a great group of um, poets and scholars many of whom are actually Australian studies people, mm-hmm. not all of them, but some of them. And so we have a, a, a group of friends who we talk ideas with and come up with new possibilities. And currently we're sort of affiliated with, this, uh, with, a, with an Australian studies centre, which is one of many in China. Uh, you know, there's about, uh, I don't know, they say there's 32 of them. And so uh, through that, we've been able to uh, get certain people, you know, come through. Michael Farrell came through recently. Mm-hmm. I think uh, he's coming back to China in October. So that'll be that'll be great. Um, I think he really enjoys it. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> yeah, we had um, we had David Musgrave come through, who edited this um, <laughs> contemporary Australian anthology. Oh yes, <laughs> right, right, right. So, yeah. And we, we get along just great. <laughs> uh, he's yeah. a very friendly person. And yeah. he, he gave a paper and, and read some poems. Right. So, uh, yeah, so we're going to continue doing that. And there's a few events uh, as well going on. I was very lucky to be able to attend a, an event at Wuhan, uh, oh. which is sort of in the center of China, yep. along the, the river there. And uh, it was... Uh, Law, uh, Liang Kong uh, Law, who runs uh, the, it, or is instrumental, is part of this uh, Chinese American Association of Poetry and Poetics. I was lucky to actually uh, attend a forum there mm-hmm. and um, to see the way in which Chinese poetry and American poetry on that level is kind of coming together. Uh, you know, Alvin Lynn Nielsen and uh, Laurie Ramey. Mm-hmm. Uh, people from African American studies as well. So yeah, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening in China. That's great. It's really great to hear about. Yeah. Um, is there anything else I haven't led you to that you wanted to chat about? <laughs> um, there's always the weather. Uh, I'm fascinated with the the weather. That's the only thing I want to really talk. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we went to Darwin and Perth recently, and. And Darwin's a totally different landscape. Mm. It feels like summer there right now. And uh, really hot in Shanghai right now. And then we went to Perth, and Perth is this real changeable. It's a bit like Melbourne, maybe. Mm. You know, it'll be almost hailing one, one minute, and then the next it'll be... The sun will be out, and... 
you know, the weather seems to affect everything. Yeah, I think it affects us so much more than we realize. We, you know, like your whole yeah. mood for a day, I think, is just totally dictated by that. It you know it dictates mood. It's mm. a it's a dictator. <laughs> it's speaking. Yeah. It's um. It's a strange thing. You know, and, and it also you know if you record the weather, you you get a sense of something, but you can never quite you you, you, ne- you can never quite get it right because the weather is always saying something else. Mm. I was um. Really pleased at the NGV to see uh, for the first time consciously look at a on Kawara piece which is his, his date paintings and that was for me quite a moving experience because I'd never really seen that uh, I'd never seen one really uh, up close like that before what, what piece what it was he, he uh, on Kawara was a, a Japanese conceptual artist okay and he did these paintings which were just records of the day and he would paint the, the date Mm. you know if it was 29 December you know 2004 and he would uh, that would be it it was usually against black so it was a black canvas and then he'd do it in the date in white Mm. and he would if it took the painting took more than one that day he would discard the canvas Mm -hmm. Um, often these pieces are accompanied by a newspaper article from the day mm-hmm. that he's um and it's a it's a real kind of uh story of record you know of recording time of recording the date mm-hmm. and um i was just speaking to melody paloma yesterday and she's uh, for our little small press thing sod press we're um hosting this thing which she's doing which is like oh i forget what the name of it is selected days or something like that mm. where she is writing a poem on a google docs each day and it's a kind of record of of that day um and it's going to be I, I think it i think it's going for a year that's oh, going to be great so it's a an interesting piece yeah. uh, but you know thinking about passing time mm. um record yeah recording the weather, the, the time, and all those things, and the things that we sort of don't pay attention to, and to yeah. heighten the attention on that other plane. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. yeah it reminds me there was a, a exhibition at Gertrude Contemporary where an artist had, you walk into the space and it just looks like a room full of blank pages, but when you look closely, the artist has um, traced over her daily, you know, calendar diary with all her appointments and little notes oh. in like little tiny little pinpricks like into white paper and so you have to stare really closely at them to sort of make out most of what's been written and all kinds of stuff happens in that year like her father gets ill and she has relationship trouble and all this sort of stuff and you just walk around kind of learning all this stuff i haven't loved it that's not on right now uh it was a couple of months ago oh, i see but it. yeah i don't know what was I'll the name of that artist again i will look it up for you yeah, we'll, <laughs> can't we'll remember. <laughs> um and also too have you been down to mona yeah at the uh in hobart hobart it's yeah. one of the it's amazing isn't it yeah oh, yeah i loved it yeah. yeah it's got the yeah there's a there's a piece there i was thinking of as you're talking about the weather of um just this incredible uh, pen drawing that's being made just through 
the wind pushing like a, a sail or something outside and then that pushes the pen and then it makes yeah just yeah. amazing beautiful like really beautiful shape over days and days and yeah. days yeah some some great work there and the structure of that gallery is extraordinary i know it's, it's crazy. Um, a hole in the ground yeah. and you kind of descend into this abyss mm. it's quite an experience yeah it's pretty intense There's some great works there um you know i forget which one it was but you work walk into this little hall and there's this these sort of numbers and, you, and it's kind of mirrors and numbers and things and it's a very austere experience mm-hmm. and i think a lot of those artists like um you know like on kawara and another artist is my favorite uh han de boven the german conceptual artist worked with a kind of austerity you know where you um you were uh, a kind of it's not it wouldn't call it self-punishment mm. but a kind of commitment to something that uh, allows some kind of opening up on another whole plane and to record things you know, Hannah de Boven did these incredible works where she you know had a kind of a calendar or a grid or something like that and then did these acemic kind of marks on them and then numbers and stuff and she did you know thousands upon thousands I think she had a very rigorous work schedule in that she woke up at like, you know, 8 a.m. in the morning and then at 11 a.m. she would have lunch with her mother and then, mm. and then continue well into the evening mm. doing these incredible works. And right now some of the exhibitions that are coming out um, are just extraordinary. But a kind of austerity. Yeah. And uh, I do say that I am to varying degrees an austere poet on some levels Mm. and that can bring new possibilities yeah absolutely well thank you so much for chatting yeah it's been great yeah Yeah. like i said i've been waiting to do this for ages yeah no i really appreciate it and uh and the reading as well that was real fun so good uh, you know just to talk ideas yeah